Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to this new edition of Mind Podcast. This is Adit Kapadia, and with me is a fellow podcaster, a host of the India Rising Podcast, Mindmakers columnist, uh, dear friend, and a fa- fa- fascinating analyst, uh, Mohal Joshi. Hi, Mohal. And I was a returning champion. That's the word I am told <laughs> I should use, not alumni or anything. Returning champion. So we we'll go. <laughs> uh, thanks, Adit, for that uh, kind introduction. Yeah. So. i mean um, you know it's such a weird week this right because it is um, you know everything that has happened around the world i mean the the mm-hmm. tragedy the tragic thing that tragic uh, situation in india it's getting a little better in some cities but it seems to be going into rural um, you know india mm-hmm. karnataka seems to be particularly vulnerable but very positive news coming out from bombay and delhi where or mumbai and delhi where the tpr has gone down significantly mm-hmm. drastically uh vaccinations are in full swing and um dr s jayashankar is in america right now our part of the world uh talking to president biden and secretary blinken and stuff and i i suspect a lot of announcements vis-a-vis vaccination and raw materials should happen this week easier for five days so three more days after today mm-hmm. um so that's that's the news in us you saw the israel palestine sort of ceasefire happen now you know mm-hmm. between there was a truce reached between the idf and hamas and i don't know what is going to happen in the next few years but this time public opinion in america seemed to be divided strangely enough america the public opinion generally was always pro israel or something but this time there you saw some marches and stuff so we'll we'll talk a little bit about that and you know how how that's going to change in the days to come um but our primary focus is going to be about india what is going to happen last podcast as you saw we did a whole economics discussion on how india can go into you know rebound from that this time we'll touch a little bit about vaccines talk about the current situation and we'll also talk about indian politics because of course how can we not talk about it um india enters into a very interesting year of no elections this year now i mean yes we saw bengal and stuff but for at least 9 or 10 months there is not going to be any uh, elections so how will the permutations and combinations change interestingly uh, while today we are recording is may 24th we'd heard that may was the deadline that the g23 group gave rahul gandhi i don't know what has happened to that uh and you know how how is that going to you know uh, pan out and uh, apart from that i mean you know in in america you have a whole new sort of situation happening where within the democratic party also you have power factions where bernie sanders is if when bernie sanders is introducing one bill about israel and palestine joe biden is making another statement you have the squad you have the center left and the far left democrats so it's a fascinating time right so mohal your initial thoughts on what has happened this week and then we can go straight into debates and discussions yeah as usual a uh, lot of things happening on the covid front i mean in america like the, there's been the reopening plus in terms of foreign policy what has dominated the headlines is the israel gaza conflict mm. and also i think you mentioned to the the india uh, the situation in most of the states has been improving uh, quite a bit uh, the even the total positivity rate has been going down in mm. the major metro areas mm. so hopefully uh, we see see another i mean as sharply as the cases went up i think it's down to i think from uh, high of 4 lakh per day new cases we are down to 2 and a half lakh so hopefully it falls sharply yeah. uh, down as much as possible you know 
Everyone hopes the debts, of course, reduce because the debts are still hovering around 3,500, 4,000 mark. Mm-hmm. So that is particular, you know, area of concern. But let's um, let's let's go let's go a little further into this whole uh, thing, right? You have one side of the political spectrum, especially from the left and stuff, expressing vaccine hesitancy in weird sorts of ways. Now they've all like vaccine chaye and all that, and which is good because vaccination and masking up is the only way out of this. I mean, there is no other way. The scientists around the world have said everything else is a survival technique. Once you get COVID, the best the best thing is prevention, you know, and um, how to do. Um, you know, and obviously washing hands and all is there, but the two major things are masking up and vaccinating. The debate, of course, is, you know, can India scale up enough? Can India produce enough vaccines and so forth? So how do you view this in terms of, and I'm not going into merits and demerits of the production thing. That's that's for uh, subject matter experts to decide on, you know, what is the rate and how it can be ramped up. I'm looking at the whole distribution pattern, right? Are we going to see more players coming in because India clearly needs about at least I mean, even to vaccinate 70% of the population, we need at least 100 crore doses, minimum. Yeah, actually, it would be more, right? Because unless we have the single shot Johnson & Johnson, if yeah, you assume I mean, like 70, I mean, we have like 100 crore adults. Yeah. So even, I mean, keeping the, I know like the vaccine has been approved for even the 12-year-old crowd. So mm-hmm. you at least need 140 crore doses. So as per the estimates released by the government, they say that they are on track to produce, I think, around 220 crore doses by the end of the year, which should be more than sufficient. The yeah. challenge will be to then get uh, the people vaccinated, especially in rural or far-flung areas yeah. where there might be vaccine hesitancy or uh, the ease of access that where a person could exit their house, come to a vaccination center and get the vaccine. So they might have to go door-to-door to do the vaccination. So that will be the bigger logistical challenge and also right now we have the supply issue so what has happened is that the vaccination which was at three million per day and which was on par with america has now come down to one and a half uh, million per day which is not a suitable thing you know no, no, absolutely and and that is that is the biggest problem right i mean you have the raw materials issues and so forth and mm-hmm. Pfizer and moderna are saying that they are not going to deal with states they are only going to deal with the central government so there is that issue as well and then of course other punawalas and and the the mixed messaging from SIA is not helping, right? One executive says this one, which is why I think that whatever other Punawala has made, you know, all the right statements and everything. I think the government needs a, either a vaccine czar or a press secretary, which I've been shouting for the seven years, last past seven years, just to talk about this. Clearly, bureaucracy, bureaucracy and everything is not helping. Um, you know, there is the minister who does conferences, but they need a press secretary who comes out, answers questions and dispels myths because there is so much Skype flying going on on social media and mm-hmm. the, the the far left is having a field day, you know, and I mean, they're they're They can do whatever they want on the political side, but they're completely making these crazy theories up and stuff, which have no basis in fact. So for that alone, I think there needs to be a press advisor. Yeah, I mean, I think even on your podcast, you're talking with others and even I have mentioned this, that the government needs somebody, especially in a crisis like this, to clearly communicate what are the next steps and just to have a the face, you know, to talk to the people every day because what many people have been upset is, I mean, they do understand that the severity of the second wave was quite a bit, but they feel that the government has sort of disappeared and they, they are left on their own. And there's nobody to help. I mean, obviously, the resources have been overstretched and many didn't foresee 
the second the, the second wave coming which was also another kind of oversight and issue but uh, i mean it is having a, a human touch like you know somebody explaining stuff that things were going to get better or at least having at the day to day interaction also mm-hmm. helps uh, reduce people's anxieties and fears because i think a lot of it is driven by anxiety or fear yeah. and uh, when they're running around anxiety fear and whatsapp forwards <laughs> i mean social media yeah i mean it has its pros and cons no, what social media is bad and you know pros and cons but whatsapp forwards are the bane i mean coming from this weird sort of nuskas that people are giving which have no basis in fact and i'm not saying all of them are weird right but yeah, yeah. you have to you have to follow your doctor i mean mm-hmm. you trust your medical professional to make the right decisions but apart from that this information log jam cannot happen it has to come out and then like you said like you know the whoever the press secretary is whoever the person is speaking on social media or you know just some empathy and the way they are addressing the tonality is a big difference as well mm-hmm. we see that tone in the prime minister's voice but you know that that also needs to be reflected across the board right? i mean it, it can be a minister it can be a press secretary i mean whoever is like uh, media savvy has to come out and address i mean otherwise no, it just builds up a perception i think a lot of the perception has built even among some bjp supporters that where is the government we don't yeah, see anybody not, you know it's not it's more, not a truthful you know assumption at all but the fact is if there is an assumption the best job of the for the government is to go, go out and correct it i mean the, the yeah. you have to just pretty much respond and do a press conference do a no holds bars press conference i i, I don't mm-hmm. know you know what is the way out but they have to start somewhere and uh, uh, and news channels are clearly not you know the right place and stuff but um uh, so that's 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 the situation in india and one just hopes that the mr jayashankar is meeting the yield schools um i honestly this is one time i don't think the uh, uh, the meeting is are not going to be anything to do with foreign policy but they're going to be do, to do with diplomacy and trade diplomacy so the external affairs minister is actually you know here to have sort of the trade aspect to the foreign policy correct me if i'm wrong paul yeah i think uh, i mean a lot of the focus obviously will be on the pandemic and how us can send even more aid to india especially on the vaccines i mean the us after all has those 60 million uh, astrazeneca vaccines which i mean the us is not approving and here right. we are i mean clearly in the end stages of the i mean at least the vaccination phase i mean we don't know what the future holds but hopefully it's not a severe uh, third wave Mm-hmm. so i mean biden has mentioned that he will be sending over the 60 million astrazeneca doses so clearly in a place like india it could do a lot of good uh, plus mm-hmm. the raw material for the novavax vaccine which has been held up and which adar punawala had alluded to being not sent over mm. so yeah so i mean do you think that's going to change the novavax vaccine and everything i mean in terms of the raw materials you mean Yeah, raw materials and just you know basically making sure that it is available to whoever. I mean, in theory, you should. I mean, the US should not be holding back material. I'm not. I'm not an expert, so I, I don't know if there is a commonality if the material is to be used in Pfizer and Moderna vaccine. Mm-hmm. But let's say if it was not going to be used in the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine, then definitely it should be sent over because mm-hmm. it makes no sense for them to hold because uh, let's say even if they had to make a theoretical booster dose down the road. if the material is not common but yeah if the material is common i mean still they should release some of the raw materials that uh, novavax uh, uh, production can be ramped up in the mm-hmm. in yeah. india i mean and hopefully i mean 
they submitted the data for approval in uk so hopefully if the approval comes through then mm. maybe we india can take that uh, data from the uk trial i think it is even a trial in india mm. and uh, roll it because i think one of the important things was that we banked upon even before the second wave our theory was that we will bank upon mostly mostly three vaccines it was novavax mm. uh, covid shield and covaxin now mm. covid shield and covaxin are still out there but the novavax has been delayed for whatever reasons i mean i'm not privy to like what exactly happened there mm-hmm. but i think that was a huge chunk of the supply falling out and that's why i think the us got lucky that two of the vaccines they banked upon heavily mm-hmm. uh they made it through i mean i know like astrazeneca didn't make it through but uh their bets paid off i mean they had diversified their portfolio quite a bit they had a lot of money to throw around so yeah. uh they did much better than india in terms of uh, how many vaccines were available to them available to them and also you know where they are produced and all that kind of stuff right maybe yeah, yeah. Like usually india was focusing on the but that's you know water under the bridge and so forth so let's just hope that mr jayshankar's um, visit yields fruits and you know this we can end this nightmare of waiting for covid to go and it goes away and we beat it out so you know how, who knows how this is going to um, happen by the way interestingly washington post yesterday i think called was it wall street journal had about the origins of covid vaccine now they are suddenly debating again surprise surprise after the election uh, because i think shekhar gupta did a video where he top pointed out that how the people clearly giving clean shit to this you know this didn't come out of a lab or this didn't do that they had such conflicts of interest and mm-hmm. that's the problem right you have had some uh, articles about hcq and lancet and stuff which have been problematic as well and you know some some articles have been rescinded and i mean all sorts of things are going on so, even shekhar gupta even did a second video today i think there's a second story broken broken in the wall street journal that mm-hmm. three uh, researchers at the wuhan institute of that's virology uh got sick uh, around november 2019 which was a kind yeah. of interesting that uh, i mean they had to be hospitalized sorry it's not just like you get regular flu and three people got flu at the same time but had to be hospitalized at the same time i think it all came uh because of the the art, the, uh, the brilliant article by uh, i think he was like former new york times uh, science editor nicholas wade so mm-hmm. i think that has uh, brought up churned up a lot of uh, new Hmm. um information on why it doesn't yeah. appear there a lot of this lot of circumstantial evidence obviously there is no smoking gun because uh, china is not going to allow any impartial investigation for yeah. obvious reasons you know but yeah it, it is the the accidental lab theory is back in vogue now after the <laughs> after the article by nicholas wade and then they'll be helped with these weird theories by the comedians over here who just you know on in america who just refuse to look at the facts and they come up with these strange sort of theories and are like it or not most of america listens to this comedian so at least a section of america does and they just come up with their complete wild theory i saw same during israel and palestine also something about uh, you know <laughs> i mean it's just unbelievable and i'm like boss i understand you know the urge to take on political issues do that but presents all sides of the polit- discourse don't just you know take your ideology and ram through everything right so that just gives me a good segue to go into um, what <laughs> is happening in the middle east right so i think there is yeah. a temporary ceasefire um, america must have intervened or something but everyone seems to think that bb also wants some sort of a commitment about iran and then of course there are there is the whole hamas angle with the palestine 
and stuff like that. And, you know, the bombings from Israel into Palestine and then Palestine firing rockets. And I mean, all sorts of things. Um, uh, it's just, this reminds me of a line that Suranda always used to say about Kashmir, that peace in Kashmir is time between two conflicts, right? Mm -hmm. And um, uh, and I've always told her that this sort of applies to Israel and Palestine as well. I <laughs> always joke with her pattern that line. So, hey, here you have video evidence that I have to That is her, it, it is her line. But, um, you know, coming back to this, um, what do you think? What do you make out of this? I mean, it's a pretty complex issue. So as you, I don't know if everybody had read through it, the there were going to be, there's a land dispute in the some of the settlements in East Jerusalem. Yeah. So the Jewish settlers had argued that pre-1948, that they had been, uh, their ancestors had bought the land in East Jerusalem. Now, post-48, like as you know, Jordan and the neighboring countries invaded and they took over the area and uh, Arab settlers settled in the area. Yeah. Now, post-67, like uh, Israel was able to capture the West Bank and uh, I mean, the history everybody knows since then. So the lower court had uh, given the right that, okay, these guys are own the land and basically, you know, these guys have to pay up or like, you know, evict. Yeah. So some of the settlers, I mean, the, the Arab uh, folks who were living there for like the past 40 years, they said like, you know, we are not going to just pack up and leave. So they wanted to appeal to the Supreme Court in Israel, which uh, the, the verdict interestingly hasn't come. But mm -hmm. some of the the Jewish uh, uh, settlers, I mean, who were uh, insistent upon getting the, I mean, confronted the woman and the vid video became viral. So that was like one of the trigger points that, uh, yeah. like, you know, that before the Supreme Court judgment, they were trying to forcefully take them out and... I mean, they had, we were saying like, you know, we were in here from 40 years, so what's going on? So that was one thing. The other thing was at the Al-Aqsa Mosque, uh, there were like, uh, in the holy month of Ramadan, they are like Friday prayers usually happening every Friday. So like this, uh, this eviction in Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood, which mm -hmm. is just uh, north of the East Jerusalem was one trigger. The second trigger was that uh, due to the COVID protocols, I mean, uh, I, I don't remember if maybe there were maybe there was Ramadan last year also was under COVID. So they had uh, tightened up the protocols and the number of people that put up barricades and even the number of people allowed was reduced. So there was stone pelting at the Israelis because the Palestinians were mad about some of these developments. Yeah. And uh, it I mean, like there was violence and stone pelting and then uh, they responded like Israeli police responded. So there was this built up anger. And the third angle was the Hamas angle. So in the West Bank, they were supposed to held uh, elections, but mm -hmm. uh, the Fatah, like the, or Mohammed Abbas, he postponed the election. So mm -hmm. the Hamas thought like, oh, this was a good opportunity that by firing rockets, we can show our dominance over Fatah. Like so in the next election, maybe they can take advantage of it. Plus the simmering discontent over the, the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood and the, uh, the violence that happened at the Al-Aqsa Mosque, it all precipitated into this uh, violence where Hamas started firing rockets. And obviously, then everybody knows the story. Then they just did for tat uh, bombings and reprisals, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and then, you know, then then you get the international powers involved and then you have every, every, every uh, groups in each their respective countries trying to, you know, focus on, okay, focus, 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 focus
uh, uh, sort of you know believe in and then you have the tragic killing of children which is obviously you know reprehensible mm-hmm. and indefensible so it's it's just i mean and and i i don't mean to preface that statement with a then but it's almost like this weird circle that keeps going again and again and again and um there is no end inside so i don't know where that comes i don't know where if us has to intervene or something but something's got to happen and I I don't know with the change in leadership how this will pan out, but uh, you know we'll, we'll, it remains to be seen. Before we move to the next topic, though, Mohan, mm-hmm. do you think that this administration's views vis-a-vis Iran are going to change, and maybe that might sort of impact the relationship with Israel, or no? I mean, I mean, I mean during the Obama administration, they did have the JCPOA and they tried yeah. to. Uh, yeah, the, the the Iran nuclear deal, as it's referred to, they did try to. Uh, see if they can bring Iran back into the fold, but I mean, it appears. I mean, they have made some gestures as to reconciliation with the Iranians, mm-hmm. but a lot has to be seen. They could be like un. I mean, with the Middle East, you never know what could happen tomorrow. So there could be unforeseen events which might force Biden's side to uh, uh, take a more hawkish stance. Yeah. But for now, it looks like it's a middle of the road approach where it's neither the hard ap- approach by. Trump, but neither the soft approach by Obama. It's somewhere in between. I, and to be honest, I don't know what hawkish America in the Middle East seems to be because every president has their own idea of what hawkish <laughs> seems to be. I, I meant hawkish towards Iran. I meant towards Iran. Yeah, because towards Saudi Arabia, that there, there seems to be bipartisan consensus now. More so. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that relationship is then and obviously with the peace deals with Israel, you know, with UAE and others signing with them. So yeah, I mean, also the Abraham record. So like in, with this violence, the UAE and Bahrain have been put in a tough spot because they recognize the right of Israel to exist and establish diplomatic relations. Yeah, I think even, now, did. even Bangladesh took out their restriction on the passport or something because it was uh, not- Maybe I missed Mr. Brian, like Sudan, UAE, and I think Bahrain, they, they did yeah. establish. So now they're caught in a bind. I mean, obviously, all of them now implicitly support the two-state solution. But I think until you get to the, the hard question of East Jerusalem, I think it's going to be, an, nobody's going to concede that. So unless you settle East Jerusalem, I think it's never going to, I mean, we're going to yeah. be having these perpetual si- cycles of violence. Basically, I'm reading a report, I think a day ago, they they said, uh, the foreign ministry said no change in policy towards Tel Aviv, but Bangladesh essentially dropped the word from except Israel, because it said something like the passport is allowed everywhere except Israel, and that mm-hmm. was gone. So uh, it's 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 very interesting. So I have a feeling uh, that, that there is some sort of softening also. And Bangladesh has been very interesting under the new Sheikh Hasina regime. I mean, it's a continuation of our old regime, but that has been um, a very different stance that they have taken. Um, so, so let's let's so, w- w- one last point I wanted to make. So like like the foreign policy, if you see the Biden, like a lot of it has hasn't changed except maybe Iran. Like there's still the trade. Uh, uh, what you call the trade tariff with China exists. We still have an antagonistic relationship with China. Right. Uh, Trump wanted to withdraw from Afghanistan. Biden wants to withdraw from Afghanistan. Iran is an exception. I'll keep it on the side. And right. maybe Russia could be a diff- uh, different exception. There might be more hostility towards Russia. But if you look at the Middle East, I mean, when Trump, mo- I mean, they moved in the the embassy from uh, Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. I mean, a lot of the the far left had opposed it, saying like, you know, this was uh, not as per the UN charter or resolutions. Mm-hmm. So now Biden, ha- I mean, you, you, I mean, technically, you would think that if a 
left wing administration came in they would move it back to tel aviv but you have had a you haven't heard a peep so i think biden is kind of straddling that between trump and between obama somewhere in the between where mm-hmm. i think uh, what the recent events have shown that maybe it if it escalates to far, full out violence he will probably put pressure on israel but otherwise he will still support israel solidly so it's mm-hmm. kind of this uh, weird mix which actually is not a bad it's like kind of centrist policy between obama and uh, trump is what i think biden is following yeah uh, so let's see how that pans out and mm-hmm. you know uh, remains to be seen and of course his first challenge is going to be in a year um, when the midterms happen or a year and a half i know it's mm-hmm. only been 6 months in a, since he's elected but america is in constant fundraising and election mode <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how that works out so moving on from uh, biden palestine israel to back to india mm-hmm. uh, like we're taking flights and going into indian politics right um you would think that rahul gandhi would sense this opportunity to cobble up an opposition coalition or some sort of a thing or some leadership in congress would emerge but it seems like congress is probably even further away from power than they were in 2019 and there's so much confusion going on on what sort of line they want to take right because it seems like uh, uh, this Ashok Malik had this wonderful line few years ago on a TV debate. I forget where they said the Congress wants to be Rahul to be Rajiv Gandhi. Rahul Gandhi himself wants to be Arvind Kejriwal, and <laughs> it seems like he wants to be this far left activist child on Twitter. Who I mean, he wants to be probably a variation of Greta Thunberg meets I don't know some other activist where he sounds very woke and uh, a thing on Twitter, but. really doesn't want any power or responsibility and by responsibility i mean not just that having accountability for defeats if he doesn't want to be the president he said so why the hell do they keep propping him up or his mother i mean yeah i mean they have an existential crisis which is not a secret i mean the yeah. question is that i mean let's say even if in the 2019 election i mean congress did have a solid 20% vote share now or 19% probably or something yeah. in that so but like the question remains that uh i mean whatever is the distrust or let's say not a fan of uh, bjp or modi the voters you have to coalesce everybody along a single coalition right so yeah. unless you have that united coalition i mean i think bengal was a good example that if the in the opposition if the vote coalesced around mamta the mm. cpi and the sorry the congress and the left melted away mm. then you could have a runaway election i'm not trying to compare like mamta's popularity in the national level i think i'm just giving an example that the uh, i mean bjp even i know like many people criticize it but it did had a 38% vote share right which is not no joke so yeah, like yeah. You, like i mean you and need a you need the vote to coalesce yeah. Yeah, and ramping this up nationally is going to be this repeat plus the four or five extra person that Pimbanis to meet himself because national election is to elect him. So yeah, you, I mean, and forty three, forty three is I mean four or five percent swing, and then it's a dead heat election. Then it yeah. can go anyway. But so, I mean, the the main thing is that if let's say Rahul Gandhi doesn't want to stand as the leader of opposition, will Congress mentally and I mean physically, I mean on the ground, cede space to have? project let's say a mamta or a sharad pawar or somebody else as the leader of opposition so because they want to eat their cake and also have it at the same yeah. time in so they they, they want they they want to be the primary leader but the primary leader doesn't want to 
be actively on the ground all the time so they have to choose one of the two they cannot have it both ways they either have to concede okay we will be the backbone Mm-hmm. which will drive the next government and have mm-hmm. projects somebody as a leader maybe you give them little bit more seats than what you used to obviously congress will still fight majority seats because most of the parties don't even have a presence nationwide mm-hmm. and then say we we will be the the engine and you be the leader mm-hmm. or we have the leader and like you guys join us but then the leader has to be active so because what happens like i think even in the if you look at the last election 20 to 30% of the voters decided in the last week on whom to vote for mm-hmm. so what happens is like in the end like uh, the Im- image projection by modi like people are might be even not be satisfied with modi fully i mean there is a lot who are satisfied but even the unsatisfied would say like okay who what is my choice if on the other side it's somebody who is disinterested as rahul gandhi then they will just grudgingly just vote for modi so it doesn't help his cause at all no no absolutely i agree with you completely so it just it just makes it uh, makes it more complicated so to speak um but yeah no i personally feel uh, that the, the, i mean the, the, they are nowhere close to posing a challenge yes with 20% uh-huh. it goes to reckon with but right now the credibility of the gandhi family and rahul gandhi himself is so low that whatever they say and done they do and then rightfully so i mean he's made apart from sounding okay and making a couple of statements here and there and i mean i don't even think he sounds okay but um, he, he tried to i mean even the pro many of the intellectuals who have been supporting or indirectly or directly the congress have, have, have been telling like you know that rahul gandhi either needs to work harder or just make way for somebody else to be an opposition leader to give a better challenge to the bjp so it's not even there supporters are now see the writing on the wall that there's nothing that can happen absolutely, now absolutely absolutely so that's 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 the most interesting part so i i i don't know how this is going to pan out but um, yeah we'll see we'll see in days or weeks to come uh, what will happen so that's that's sort of uh, my take on this as we move to the closure of the podcast to the last part of the podcast um, any recommendations you have any news that you've heard in the last few days uh... I guess I would say anything other than Radhe, right? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't watched it, but um, someone sent me the trailer, and that itself just looked. Odd. Uh, I mean, hopefully, no, you don't get any hate mail from uh, Salman fans after this, no, you know, podcast. I, honestly, if they're real fans, they should tell him that Radhe is absolutely horrible. I mean the amount of memes it has generated. I think in the yeah. I mean during the dark days of the pandemic, the only thing which had was uplifting for us as Indians was the the amount of sheer memes that Radhe has created. You know. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, I love Rehman. Like I worship Rehman, but I've I've criticized when A R Rehman hasn't given good music. It's not like every album is gold. So I don't understand why do Salman Khan fans feel that everything that Bhai Touch does is too gold. <laughs> I mean, yes, he can make uh, him too, or he can be. And uh-huh. I mean, clearly, he just keeps making the same thing. And I mean, I have to say, Prabhu Deva is—he pretty much just directs the same damn thing again and again and again. Uh-huh. With Akshay Kumar, with Salman Khan, it's like repeat, repeat, repeat. And I mean, maybe I mean, the story be- sounds very cliche. I mean, when I read it, I was like, okay, I mean, this, this one interests the- me. Yeah, the the movie wanted is story itself was cliche also, which started this whole thing like part of Salman Khan. But uh, yeah. Anyway, so my recommendation for the week, uh, I think, is this uh, Nicholas Wade article, which mm-hmm. goes into this accidental lap theory, uh, which goes into quite a bit of detail that uh, how he tries to say that okay, there are a lot of these factors which would make mm-hmm. sure. 
we should make one wonder actually that did it actually did it jump from animals it it sounds very uh unconvincing i mean for the animal jumping the theory i mean we know the code the the genetic code is very similar to bats but they say in sars 1 and in mers the middle east respected like you found a in between animal within 4 to 9 months now obviously the amount of uh focus on the pandemic has been like probably 100x like those pandemics so we we would have found a intra, an anim, an intermediary animal which from which it jumped to humans so there are like many of these small small clues which makes it uh more and more uh, uh obvious that maybe it might have just been an accidental uh leak from a lab you know so that would be my one recommendation absolutely it's a fantastic fascinating uh, take my recommendation is going to be a little hutke this time it's a tv show that came out last year but i just watched it called ted lasso on ads uh, or apple tv plus it's about a nfl coach who goes or a american football coach who is forced to go to goes to britain and becomes a soccer or a football coach there <laughs> and um, uh, jason sudeikis plays it's a heartwarming story uh nothing like you haven't seen before i mean it's a sports show right but it's very funny and then another show i watched on hbo um, called hacks it's about an aging comedian who teams up with the writer two very different shows but outstanding writing very funny and uh, do i mean do watch it right because uh i know everyone's had a tough time i've lost very close family you know and friends and so as mohan and so of all of you but um, and keep keep you know we have to keep the spirits up we have to help out everyone but if watching a 30 minute clip helps you at least smile through the night watch it clear your mind up and then go back and work vigorously because together with our help and with you know vaccination is only way we are going to defeat covid so you know here's um, a shout out to all the frontline workers medical workers government mm-hmm. officials everyone busting you know they're um, uh, busting their butts basically to make sure this happens that's an american phrase guys don't kill me for it it's <laughs> but with their busting uh, to make sure that this they fight the pandemic so our heart goes out to them and a huge shout out to them and uh, mind makers will always stand in support with them but um, having said that we'll be back very soon with more discussions debates and uh, you know um, uh, with all the topics we've covered maybe we'll have a sequel of that thank you so much mohan for joining this was yeah thanks cool. adit all right guys we'll be back please follow us on twitter please subscribe to the youtube page please like the facebook page we'll be back next week thanks